0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Our series on Covenant and Kingdom, and then uh, <laughs> we're then going to go into a kind of a four-week series um, around uh, values, some of the some values here at Damascus Road, some things that we that we want to do. And so we're calling that the We Will series. It's like we will dot, 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 fill in the blank. And so we're looking forward to that series. And then after that one, it's just a quick four-week series. We'll be entering into the Lenten season. And that there we're going to spend a lot of time in the prophets. And we're calling that the return series. And we're looking at how the prophets call us to return. And as we're in this season of Lent of, of repentance and returning back to Christ and anticipating uh, Easter, uh, we'll be spending some time um, listening and hearing from the prophets of the Old Testament. So that's just kind of where we're going uh, through Easter, if you're wondering, because I know some of you guys are like, what's coming next? What's coming next? So that's kind of the trajectory of where we're going. So uh, covenant and kingdom. Uh, we've been doing this for about six, seven weeks now. Uh, <laughs> and what we find is that throughout the Bible, throughout the story of the Bible, there are these two major themes, the first theme being covenant and the second theme being kingdom. And that covenant is about relationship. Uh, you want to pull up the, yeah, the triangle's already up there. So the, the first one over here on your right is kind of the, the covenant triangle. It's about relationship. It's about seeing God as Father. And from there, seeing ourselves as sons and daughters of the Father. That we have been adopted into his family. And as, as sons and daughters, we then live a life of obedience. And then the second side of that is kingdom, seeing God not only just as father, but also as king, king of the universe, king of the world, of ultimate authority in the universe. And from there, we also see that we have authority as sons and daughters of the king. And so we see how our identity and our authority are, are linked. If we are confident in our identity as sons, we are also can be confident in our authority as sons of the king. And therefore, we can go out into the world with obedience and tied to that obedience is power. Power to go and change the world. Power to bring God's kingdom into this world. And we've looked at stories of Abraham, Joshua, Moses, David, and last week Jesus, of how these men and ultimately how Jesus brings and encapsulates this covenant kingdom relationship together. And so we're going to finish this series by looking at The foundation of the church and kind of the two key players of the foundation of the church, and that being uh, Peter and Paul. And so those are kind of the two lives that I want to end on looking at this covenant kingdom relationship and how then we can also go out into our world uh, living in this relationship of covenant and kingdom uh, with God. So the first person that I want to look at this morning is Peter. And Peter's life Kind of begins with a declaration from Jesus. Peter begins in this place of covenant with Jesus, and a kind of an intimate conversation where Jesus declares over him that he is going to be the stab- that Jesus is going to establish the church through him. In Matthew sixteen eighteen, it says this: Peter, this is Jesus speaking to Peter. He says this. He declares it to him. He says, "And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it." This is covenant and kingdom language. This is declaration language. This is kind of the language that we see at the baptism of Jesus, where Jesus is baptized and God says, this is my son who I'm well pleased. Jesus is establishing identity inside of Peter and kind of the trajectory that Jesus has for Peter and for his life. It sounds also very similar to the language that we see in the kind of the original covenant bearer, Abraham, and in Genesis chapter 17, verse 4, this is what God says to Abraham. He says, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father to the multitude of nations. And so a very similar language that Peter receives. And I'm sure as Peter hears it, he's kind of hearing this covenant language that's been echoed and announced throughout time. And Peter's probably kind of excited, probably a little overwhelmed. And what we see is that ultimately Peter kind of misunderstands as the story continues what his role in God's kingdom place is going to be. And so if we fast forward the story, so he's declared, hey, Peter, I'm going to establish my church. And if you're Peter, you're like, that's, that's kind of exciting. Um, but as the story continues, Jesus is heading into this meal called Passover. And at this Passover meal, he redefines the terms of the covenant. He says, this bread is my body, this cup is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. And while they're journeying onto this place of Passover, the Jesus, there's also this language of kingdom that comes up. There's tons of conversation about Jesus saying, my kingdom's come, my kingdom's coming, I've come here to establish my kingdom. And the Jews at the time were looking for a savior to establish a physical kingdom. And here Peter's been told that, guess what? My church, my assembly, my people are going to be established on you. And so Peter's thinking, all right, let's get to this establishing the kingdom bit. And as they're on their way to Passover, the disciples kind of get into an argument about which one's the greatest, like which one's most important here, because they're just trying to figure out, Who's going to be in charge? And what's the pecking order going to be when Jesus actually establishes his kingdom? And who's going to reign when Jesus is gone? What is this going to look like? Because they all want these places of power. They want to be able to overthrow Rome and they want to be be seen as significant. And so they get into an argument about it. And we see this kind of start to take over in Peter. And we see it in two places. And the first place is at (laughs) the Passover meal. At the Passover meal, Jesus announces, someone is going to betray me. And Peter's like, oh, no, they're not. He's like, no, they're not. And he's like, yes, they are, Peter. This is, you can't stop it. I'm going to go. And I'm going to have to go die. And Peter's like, if you're going to go die, I'm going to go die with you. And Jesus is like, no, you're not, Peter. Actually, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And if you're Peter, he's like, yeah, but... But this is the thing. Like, this is the thing that we've been waiting for. This is the thing where, like, you said, on me, the church is going to be founded. The kingdom's going to come. Like, we're ready to overthrow the government. I mean, Jesus even talks about swords and stuff, and Peter's like, I got my sword. And that kind of brings us to the second part where Peter misses the kingdom. And that's in the garden, the garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is praying, and the temple guards come and they come to arrest jesus and what does peter do he whips out his sword he's like we are going to start this kingdom now this is where we're going to overthrow the roman rulers And he whips out his sword and he cuts off (laughs) the assistant to the high priest's ear and jesus says put that away and he heals the ear of the assistant of the high priest and jesus walks away and if you're peter you're like what what is going on like what just happened There's all this kingdom language. I'm supposed to be the foundation of the church. What? And Jesus is walking away in handcuffs. And as the night progresses and it becomes more and more clear that Jesus is probably going to die, and as Peter is confronted by multiple sources, even just a little girl, he denies Jesus three times. He has this incredible identity crisis. He doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know whose he is. He doesn't see God as his father. He tries to build his identity on himself and he tries to use his own identity as a source of his own power. And it fails miserably. But there's hope for Peter. And the hope for Peter comes in the resurrection. So Jesus dies. Three days later, he's resurrected. In the book of John, Peter and James and John, they're all fishing because they were fishermen. This is where Jesus found them to begin with. They're fishing with their father. And Jesus says, come, I'll make you fishers of men. But here after the resurrection, they're like, well, I guess it's all over. The movement's over. I guess we'll just go back to know, to what we know what to do. And that's the fish. So they're fishing. And Jesus shows up and they're like, it's the Lord. Peter jumps out of the boat, swims to Jesus, gives them a big hug. He's so excited. They bring in this huge catch and they sit down and they have breakfast with Jesus. And this is what the conversation between Jesus and Peter looks like in this breakfast. In this breakfast, he says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus says to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Then he said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love my sheep? Oh, Sorry, do you, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, I do love you. And he said to him, tend to my sheep. So feed my lambs, tend to my sheep. And then the third time he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? Kind of three questions for three denials. And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And it's here where Peter is restored. It's here where on the cross, Jesus establishes the covenant that Peter can't mess up on his own terms, whether he understands it or not. So Jesus does it. And then through asking these questions of, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Jesus is making sure that this time Peter gets it. That this time Peter understands the nature of covenant. And when he does, he sends them with his kingdom responsibility. He says, go and feed my lamb. And so in Peter, we see this covenant and kingdom relationship. And then when we fast forward to Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes with power upon the people of the church, guess who stands up? It's Peter. He stands up and he gives this amazing sermon. And he uses the power and the authority from the covenant of Jesus Christ. And he gives this incredible sermon. And instead of wielding a sword that cuts off people's ears, the sermon that he gives, it cuts people to their heart. To the point where they're like, what are we supposed to do? And he replies to them, repent and be baptized and believe in the gospel. And on that day, 3,000 people are baptized and come into the church You see the difference between when Peter was acting out of his own strength and trying to create his own identity and kind of missing the covenant and trying to establish it on his own versus sitting there receiving the true covenant from Christ, finding his true identity in him, and then walking out with authority and power because Peter gives a sermon with incredible authority and power, but it's not his. The authority and power comes from the Holy Spirit and from Jesus Christ, and it's from that that the people are cut to the heart. Way more efficient, way more effective, much different type of cutting than with the sword. And so that's kind of our first person of this, how covenant and kingdom come together through the foundation and the forward movement of the church through Peter. The second person is Paul. And Paul, very much like Peter, is like Peter when Peter's in the garden. His his name at the time is Saul, And Saul thinks that he is advancing the kingdom of God. And the way that Saul advances the kingdom of God is by going and killing Christians because Christians are blaspheming against God. They're saying that this man, Jesus, of flesh and blood, is God. And that was a big no-no in Jewish culture. And the Jews had missed that Jesus was God in all the ways that Jesus had established that he was God. And Saul, who was a Pharisee of Pharisees, who understood Jewish tradition, law, He was the person that Jesus prophesied against the most, that would miss it the most. But he believes that he is on kingdom mission. And his kingdom mission in his eyes is to go and kill as many Christians and to extinguish this movement called the way at that time. And so Saul is on mission, very much like Peter was on mission in the garden to hack some guys up with the sword. And so as Paul, Saul, Saul, Paul, as Saul at the time, as Saul is uh, traveling from Jerusalem to Damascus on Damascus Road, Jesus confronts him. And this is what Jesus says. It says, falling to the ground, Saul heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said to him, who are you, Lord? Saul didn't know who was talking to him. And so Jesus reveals himself to him and he says, And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. This is Saul's identity crisis. Just as as Peter had an identity crisis, Saul has his identity crisis right here. He thinks that he's on mission for God Jesus knocks him off his donkey (laughs) onto the ground at this time and reveals that I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And Saul's like, what am I supposed to do? I can imagine the whole kind of mental conversation that Saul's having with himself as he enters into Damascus. And as Saul enters into Damascus, God says this to Ananias about who Saul is. He says this, he says, Saul... He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And again, this is covenant and kingdom language. It's covenant language that says, He is mine, I have chosen him, I love him, and I have a job for him to go do. It's about relationship and it's about responsibility. And so when Saul enters in, To the city, this is what it says. It says, So Ananias departed, and he entered the house where Saul was staying, and he laid hands on him, and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, scales fall from Saul's eyes, and Saul is baptized. He's chosen to enter into covenant relationship with Jesus Christ through baptism. And it's from there where Saul begins to change his name and he takes on this identity as Paul and he goes forward with the mission of the kingdom of God to go to the Gentiles. But for Paul, even changing his name did not save him from the persecution that he was about to face. He had a hard road in front of him just as Jesus said that he would. And Paul kind of documents this road <laughs> as he goes to serve the Gentiles <laughs> In the world and testify before him. He says this in 2 Corinthians. He says that his journey has been hard. He says, Five times I've received the hands of the Jews, the 40 lashes less than one. The 40 lash was supposed to kill you. Like that's why they didn't give you 40. So they stopped him at one last. Three times I've been beaten with rods, once stoned, three times out shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, in danger from robbers. Danger from my own people, the Jews. Danger from the Gentiles, who I'm called to serve. Danger from the city. Danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea. Danger from false brothers in toil and hardship. Through a many sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without fo- food and in cold and extreme exposure. Now, Paul has seen some stuff that we can't even imagine. Some of this stuff, probably just the first thing on the list, like getting beaten a couple times. Like normally as Christians, whenever the life gets hard and it gets rough and the journey gets hard, especially when we're on mission, as soon as there's some type of trial, we're like, I don't know if God's leading me that way. And our friends kind of like gather around, they're like, yeah, man, if God was in it, you wouldn't be getting beat up. You should probably choose a different way. But not Paul. He puts his head down. He faces beating after beating, trial after trial. And after all of this in the book of Galatians, this is what he says. This is what he put his hopes in. He says, if I am to boast in anything, let me boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he sees his suffering and he takes it back to the cross of Christ, the same place where Christ suffered for us. And he says, what I'm doing is no different than what our Savior has done. I'm going to to suffer with him. And he continues by saying... (coughs) I boast in the cross of Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul understands his covenant identity. He understands that he is the son of the king and he knows that because of that, nothing can touch him. Even if his life were to be taken in any of those circumstances, he knows that he's good. I mean, there's a place where Paul even says, like, I kind of long for the day that I'm with Christ, and it's kind of a bummer that I'm here with you. But until that day, I guess I'm going to hang out with you. I mean, <laughs> put putting in layman's terms, but that's what Paul says. Paul's excited to go be with Jesus. He's so secure in his covenant identity. He's so secure in what Christ has done. But yet he goes forward in confidence and on mission so that the world might know the hope and the truth that's in Christ. And so, Paul lives in this kind of place of covenant identity and kingdom responsibility, and he's probably one of the people that executes it the best in our world. And so, the question is, is what about us? If this is Peter and if this is Paul, like where do we come in the story? Because the story is, has advanced to us. Here we are, 2018, and the church is still alive, the movement is still alive. Alive. If we go to the beginning of Acts, as Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, this is one of the last things he says to his disciples. He says this, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And it's through this confidence in this power, in this covenant and kingdom, that Peter and Paul and the subsequent disciples like take Jesus and his movement and it and it survives 2000 years. And it's not survived on the church's own strength. I mean if we look back at church history, it's not a beautiful one. But God's grace is over all of it. And it's by his power, it's by his strength, and it's by his covenant and his faithfulness to us that we've been able to continue as a people and continue to grow. And it's our prayer here at Damascus Road that we would continue to grow in our communities, that we could continue to grow in our state, in our nation, and around the world. And we're a part of this movement. I just want us to take a moment to just reflect on the faithfulness of God that 2,000 years later, the movement is still alive and well. And we get to be a part of it. We get to enter into this covenant relationship and we get to receive that same power of the Holy Spirit that they did what you see is that in Jesus when Jesus comes to earth heaven breaks through it's God with us and as Jesus walks across the earth he's healing people he's forgiving people he's calling people to know God to repent and turn to him to know his love and his grace and his mercy And his disciples begin to catch on to this. And when Jesus leaves them and ascends into heaven, guess what? They continue to do the same thing. Heaven continues to break through through these everyday, common, ordinary men. And it breaks through to such a point and to such a place that is so profound that as Paul reflects on the church, as he kind of looks and observes what's happening around him, he begins to make this observation to where he says, the church, they're the body of Christ. He sees the church moving and he's like, you know what, that, that has to be what Jesus was like when he was on the earth. The kingdom of God continues to break through through his people. And this becomes a core tenet to Paul's theology that we are the body of Christ, that we are the physical presence of Jesus to this world. And this world needs Jesus. This world needs the church. And this world needs us. And so when Jesus would enter in, when heaven would break through, people would be healed people would receive forgiveness, people would be transformed. And so the question for us is, are people around us being healed? Are people around us being transformed? Are people around us (laughs) seeing a new way of life? Or are they continuing in the same patterns of hurt and destruction and bitterness? I think that's the question, that's the metric that we get to measure by. And I believe that God has called us to go into the world as the physical manifestation of Jesus to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our brothers, and to our sisters, and that the people around us should be experiencing healing, a mental, emotional, physical. They should be experiencing the restoration of relationships with their mother and father and brother and sister. I mean, we all have people in our lives that we know that are estranged from people and their family that they just can't forgive. What would it look like if we walked beside them, if we entered into a relationship with them, if we walked and said, there is a hope of restoration. It's called this painful road of forgiveness. And you don't have to walk it alone. Actually, our Savior does it. What would it look like for us to begin to restore relationships in our own lives that have been broken? And that there would be healing there and that we would receive healing, that we would be able to go in power in the Holy Spirit. I think sometimes we read these passages in Acts and we're like it was, it was for those people back then and it's not for us now. And I believe that the whole point of covenant and kingdom is that it runs through the Bible starting with Abraham all the way through Revelation and it continues through you and I and that we get to participate in it. This is the beautiful thing is that the story doesn't end when you just close the Bible and say that was a nice story, but it continues to be lived and breathed through normal people like you and me. And I believe that all of us are kind of in this journey, just like Peter and Paul, somewhere where maybe we're having an identity crisis. Maybe we need God to set us straight. Maybe we're in a place where we're just starting to figure things out. Paul was in the wilderness for like... (laughs) I think like 20 years. Somebody can correct me. I know somebody knows the real number probably in this room. I don't know it off the top of my hand. He God prepared him for a long time before he sent him. And so maybe we're in the season of preparation. Maybe we're in the season of going. Maybe we're in the season of, of just deep trial. And we're like, God, I don't know what's going on. I don't know which way we're, you're directing me. I mean, there's a number of places where Paul's like, I tried going to Asia and God stopped me. God prevented me from going. Maybe you're in a place where you're trying to discern God's leading. But I just know that He wants you to know that He is in deep love with you and that He wants to be in deep relationship with you and He wants you to know that His covenant is not based on you but by Him and what He's done on the cross and that He's also given us a responsibility to go. I think that's the challenge. I think that we as the church, we love the covenant side. We're like Moses in the burning bush. We're like, we love the part that God has come near to us and wants to talk to us, but as soon as God says, hey, go, I've got a job for you to do, we're like, what, me? I don't know about that. Are you sure you got the right guy? And in the church we see, yeah, it's just normal people like you and me and normal relationships with the friends and the people that God has surrounded you around is how the church grows. And so we're going to talk more on mission in a couple of weeks about how we can grow relationships, how we can grow the context of relationships. But I just want us to see the, how this is rafted to covenant and kingdom, how God has moved us to go forward as the church and as the body. So we need to pray for courage courage to go forward in power like Peter and Paul into our world so that everyone can experience the hope and love of Jesus. I mean, we are this covenant community, we are family, we are in deep relationship with one another, and it's good news. The better news is that this family has room to grow. And we would be better for it if it did grow. And so this is covenant, this is kingdom. This is us just being, resting with God, and then going and doing what he's called us to do. It's about a relationship and it's about responsibility. And so we exist together as a body that's covenant with Jesus and that's moving forward with for the kingdom of God. And I believe that this is the heart of the church this is the breath of the church Is that we go to kingdom to, we go to covenant to kind of breathe in and we go to kingdom to breathe out it's this gathering and it's this scattering and so we gather on sundays and then we scatter together into our workplaces and into our world and we see this beautiful rhythm of covenant and kingdom kind of everywhere we go and so that's my heart and that's our hope through this series is that we would one, see it wrapped through the Bible, and that as we're reading the Bible, we would have courage to also wrap it into our lives as well, whether we're reading the Old Testament, whether we're reading the New Testament, no matter where we're at, that we'd be challenged to see these themes of covenant and kingdom and to be encouraged to incorporate it also into our rhythm in life as well. So I want to take this time to pray, and then we're going to um, have communion and just be reminded and participate in this covenant that Jesus has established uh, through his son and through the sacrifice. And then we're also just going to worship him and praise him for the good God that he is, um, that he loves us and that he gives us the power and the strength to go and expand our relationships um, with the people around us. So let's pray. Dear Lord God, I thank you for this day and I thank you for this church. I thank you for these men and women who've been, called near to you whom you have called out. And God, I thank you that your church has been established and that it will continue and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it, God. We thank you that you established that covenant with your servant Peter. And God, we thank you that you have been faithful to it from its inception. God, we thank you that you have married the church that we are your bride. And God, I pray that we would turn to you that we would be discipled by you and that you would grow us and that you would give us the courage to go forth into this world just growing the context of our relationships with the people that we know and love the people that we know that need you and god i pray that we would pray a bold prayer with humility that you would use us that your power that heaven would break through through me and through this congregation and through these people here god that you would break through through us and into the world, and that people would be healed, and that lives would be restored, and God, that we would begin to just, as a city and as a nation, return to giving you glory in all things. God, you are a good Father, and you are a just King, and we give you praise for that. Give us courage. In your name we pray. Amen.